I don't know whether everyone listened to last week's word. If you didn't, let me encourage you to do so. This is part two. But if you were ministered to at all, if you felt I needed that, if you felt, to put it in the normal vernacular, that was good. If you felt any of those things, let's make sure we know right up front, you're not approbating the speaker, at least this man. You're recognizing and approbating the presence and the ministry, the voice, the work of the Holy Spirit. We can stand here, Jeff can preach every week, I could teach, whatever, and it mean diddly squat to you. In fact, it would be like, can't wait to get out of here. Stop yawning, I saw that. (laughs) But a man could get up, a lady could get up and share and teach. And in the natural fumble all over the place, but if the power of the Holy Spirit is present and if he is anointing the words or the content and anointing your hearts and your ears to receive, the way the presentation is made becomes so insignificant to what God is doing inside of you. Can you say amen? amen. And that's what those of us who speak publicly in the church or who may share personally, and all of us do this, we share, we counsel, we teach, all of us are involved in something. The most important issue here is this. <clears throat> Not what did I say and how I said it. What's the issue? What the Holy Spirit said. And how he said it to me. And how I'm responding to it. Amen. Amen. So just to make sure we see that. You remember last week. We said this. There's just a lot of needs in this world. There are a lot of needs in our lives. There are a lot of needs in this church. You have a lot of needs. I have needs. But once we boil down all the needs that we have. Jeremiah chapter 9 Verses 23 and 24, the Lord tells us what our greatest need is. Do you remember that? And the greatest need that each one of us has is this, to understand and know Yahweh, to know the Lord. That's our greatest need, to understand and to know the Lord. And so understanding is the cognitive activity. I get the information, one, two, three, four, the facts. The word to know is yadam, which means a relational experiencing coming to know through the fellowship or the relationship with someone. The husband and the wife who says, I can say this, Gene and I in April will be married 54 years. Okay. I know everybody's going to pray more for my wife than they ever have. I understand that. I get that. When we were first married, I was six foot seven inches tall, but you know, (laughs) that's what happens. I will say this to you. I was in love with Jean when we married. Today I love her. Today 
more than any other time in my life. And it grows. It really does. She is the most beautiful and significant human being in my life. Because we're living together and knowing one another and sharing a life with one another. That's what it means to know. That's what God means when he says, I want you to understand me. There were things we understood about one another. She probably didn't understand enough about me, but, you know, there was enough to marry me. But, but now we know one another. Now, the activity or the essence of that knowing God is found in First John, John 4, 8, I think. The one who does not love does not know God because God is love. So what is the essence of this fellowship, this relationship which we have with God? What is the essence of it? Well, it certainly contains all of the nature, all of the attributes, all of the character of God. It certainly doesn't. But if we were to boil it down and look at one facet of the nature of God, the facet or the activity of God in my life, in your life, which impacts us the very most and that facet in which we are mostly in touch with is this love of God. And I think I can say that again for married couples. There are a lot of things about your husbands and wives that you know and that you've experienced. But possibly the most significant one, and I would say it is the most significant one, is this. Does he or does she love you and do you know it and do you experience it? Can we put up with a whole lot of other stuff in our marriages if we know for sure that love is the active, central, controlling activity and attribute of our marriage? Can we put up with a whole lot of stuff? Yes. And so that has... To, that's what it has to do with this love of God. So when 1 John 1, 8, I'm sorry, 4, 8, and again, he repeats in verse 16, God is love. He's talking about an essential attribute of God. Remember last week we talked about essential attributes. An essential attribute is that which is indigenous to God, is an attribute that combined with all of his other attributes cause God to be who he is. It is the, if you would, formulation, if you would, of his very nature. And so when the Bible says, when the Holy Spirit says through the Apostle John, God is love, he is telling us that love is one of God's essential attributes. That love exists and functions in tandem with all the other attributes. That love is fully contained in every other attribute and every other attribute is contained in every other attribute. So what we're talking about here is that in the nature of God, there exists essential attributes that without which God is not God. And they all fully, comprehensively, and immediately exist together. And so what we're... Did what we did last week, remember we said that God is omniscient. Remember what omniscient means? What does omniscient mean? You already forgot? <laughs> omniscient means what? Knowing everything comprehensively immediately at once. And because God is omniscient, what about his love? 
You can talk back. I mean, I'm, I used to teach school. I'm, I, I like that talk back. What, if God is omniscient, what does it mean about his love? It's also omniscient. Why? Because God being omniscient means that God's love is omniscient. Do we see that? So God is always loving omnisciently. When God is omnipresent, what does that mean? He is everywhere, all the time, immediately. So what does that mean about God's love for me? God's love is also omnipotent. That means that God's love is always with me, present. And then what's the other one? As one person said it years ago, omnipotent, <laughs> omnipotent. God's love is all powerful. That means that God can do anything and does anything and everything that is in keeping with his nature. Therefore, God's love is also omnipotent. That nothing and no one in all creation can prevent God's love for, from accomplishing his purpose. Can you say amen? There's nothing out there that can in any way prevent God from accomplishing his purpose when he sets his love towards something. Now that should say something about our personal relationships with God. God loves me because he knows everything about me and he loves me anyway. Are there things about your life that you wonder? God loves me because his love has overcome what? Every issue in my life. And God loves me everywhere I go. There's no place where I can go where God's love is as active in that place as it was in the other place as it will be in every other place. So this morning, we're going to be talking about God's love in relation to the next three attributes, which is immutable. God is immutable. God is sovereign and God is righteous. So let's go through these and let's see what the Holy Spirit has for us. Father. Father, as we survey very quickly this understanding that your love is contained in every other attribute, that every other attribute is contained in your love. Father, that these are the facets of who you are. Father, enlarge our understanding. And cause us to experience in a greater way, in a deeper way, in a more freeing, in a more victorious way. Your love for us. That you have poured out upon us by the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. Father, we thank you. Touch our hearts. Touch our minds. Continue to transform us. Conforming us into the image of the Lord Jesus. And we ask you in his name. Amen. What does immutable mean? What? Change. Unchanging. Now, in this world, is there anything at all that is unchangeable? Is it possible for anything to remain unchangeable? Nothing. There's not the least molecule or the most complicated whatever that does not continually undergo change. 
not just once in a while, but it continually changes. We may not see it, but everything continues to change. But only God himself always remains the same. He is today as he was yesterday, as he will ever be. Malachi 3.6. I am the Lord. I don't change. There's nothing about the nature and the character of God that changes. His means to accomplish his purpose may change from time to time. You love, hopefully, your children with an unchangeable love. But the way you deal with your children and the means with which you, uh, uh, the means that you apply to your children's lives to, to do this and to do the other thing may change. But hopefully it is your love that remains the same, even though a lot of the other activities may change. God never changes. Can we get that in our hearts and minds today? It is impossible for God to change even the least amount in any time frame and remain God. God does not change, period. Any theology, any thought that has anything to do with any amount, no matter how little it is that God changes, you're not talking about the God of the Bible. So who God is, he's always been. Remember that verse in Hebrews 13, 8. Jesus Christ, what, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now, what does that mean for me? It means this, because God is not subject to any change whatsoever. That means his love for me is as unchangeable as his nature. Now, that should help us. Have you been going through anything? Have you gone through anything in the past? Or are you concerned that you may be going through something in the future that would in some way alter even to the very least God's love for you? Do we ever think about this, that God's love for us could be altered in any way if we do such and such or say such and such? Anybody ever think like that? Yes. But is it true? Can it be true, Sam? It can't be. You see, if God's love is altered even in the least, Mike, that means his love is not part of his nature. There's something wrong here. God can't be God that way. There's something wrong. This means that God's love for us is not subject to the events or the circumstances of our lives. Can you say amen to that? Aren't you glad that no matter what's going on in my life, no matter how much I'm guilty of whatever it is, God's love remains unchangeable for me. It is impossible for his love to in any way be altered. That doesn't mean he doesn't deal with my sin that means that his love and his acceptance for me remains the same. Listen to what Paul says, 2 Timothy, Tim, Timothy 2.13. If or when we are faithless, has anybody been faithless in here? Has anybody ever sinned faithless? When we are faithless, God remains faithful for he cannot deny himself. And to what is he remaining faithful? He's remaining faithful to himself. The father remains faithful to the promise that he made to the son. That if you die for their sins, I will give these people to you as an inheritance. You remember that? The faithfulness of God is not faithful, faithful primarily to me. 
He is faithful to himself. Therefore, I am the recipient of the benefit of that faithfulness that God has within himself to himself. So because God's love is immutable, we can always believe God's promise in Jeremiah 31.3. Remember, we talked about this. I have loved you with an everlasting love. Do you believe it? Even when life says differently, even when others say differently, even when we feel differently, is it true? Yes or no? It ain't true that God's love can change. What's true? I have loved you with what? An everlasting love. And when did that love begin? Ephesians 1, 4. Before the foundation of the world. We'll talk about that in a moment then. God is sovereign. What is God is sovereign? It means that God is in constant, instant, and comprehensive control of every aspect of his universe. Constant, instant, and comprehensive control of everything in the universe. Is there any molecule, even one time, or what is the smallest thing in all the world now? They're no longer molecules. I think they're smaller things. Is there any of those little whatevers even one time vibrated apart from God's immediate and constant and instant rule over it? No. Nothing. Nothing. Now, that's a subject in itself that needs to be discussed and is a real challenge to us. Well, if God is sovereign, how did he do this and this and this? And why didn't he do such and such? You know, that sovereignty thing, I don't like it. But on the other side, if God isn't sovereign, then why are these things happening and he didn't stop it from happening? You see, the final determination is always and only about God. Do we see that? God is sovereign. Now, that means that since God is sovereign... No one or nothing is outside of his immediate control. Nothing. And because God is sovereign, what about his love? His love for us is a, you can say it, a sovereign love. He loves me sovereignly. This means that God has sovereignly chose to save us. Listen to what Jesus says in John fifteen sixteen. You did not choose me, but I what? I chose you. I chose you. You see, we're not here this morning because we asked Jesus to come into our hearts. You're not here because of that. You're not here because you chose Jesus or called out to him. You're not here because of that. You're not saved because you decided to believe Jesus. That is not the truth. That's backward. We are here because the Son of God shed his blood for us that we might become the children of God. And those for whom Jesus died, God called sovereignly to become his children. Amen? Amen. We're here because of God wanted us to be here. You're, you're in this church. Why are you here this morning? If you were here because you made the decision on your own, okay. But you should be here because God put you here in this family and planted you into this church to be his garden displaying the flowers of his grace and of his love to this community and among yourselves. You see, if I decided for Jesus, you've heard of these things, you decide for Jesus, you must ask Jesus. No, no. If I decided for Jesus... When things go bad, I might what? Say it again. I like that. 
undecide, I might say, hey, and you see, my whole salvation is dependent because of what I did. Well, what does John 1.13 say? It says, to many as received him. He called us sovereignly. Sovereignly called us. Listen to Ephesians 1.4. 1, uh, In love, God has predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself. We are here today, friends and fellow believers, because God has sovereignly chosen before the foundation of the world that we should be his people. And he has sovereignly set this love upon us. God's love is sovereign. Okay, we got that? Amen. Now, because of that, listen to this word in 1 Corinthians 1, 8 and 9. God will keep you strong to the end. Why? Because those whom he calls, he keeps. Jesus says, I lose none. I don't lose any. Well, what about that person? But you have to ask God that. But I have a choice. Either I'm going to believe what the word of the Son of God has told me. Of those who are mine, I lose nothing. Right, Ed? Nothing. I've never lost any, and I ain't going to lose any. Now, when the God of glory tells you that, Zach, what does it mean? He's going to keep you. Well, I know someone. I remember John, Bill, Henrietta, Sam, Brenda, whoever it is, who was a Christian for years and who just drifted away and no longer. I can't tell you, but I can tell you this. I don't know about that person, but I do know about the faithfulness of the word of the Son of God. Amen. So let us not be too much preoccupied in trying to figure out what about and point it. No, here's what we'd be figuring out. What about the word of God? Amen. No more foolishness on our parts and vain speculations that the apostle talks about. I don't know a lot, but I do know this, that Jesus said, of those who are mine, I lose how many? So do any of you have a fear of being left out, of being, falling out, or walking away? If you belong to God, trust me, he who was strong enough to bring you in is strong enough to hold you in. Come on, come on. He who was strong enough to bring you in is strong enough to do what? Hold you in. You were in the worst place before you were saved and God brought you in. Oh, I know. Well, what about those scriptures? You know, that's for another day. And don't misinterpret the scriptures that you might be thinking of. God will keep you strong to the. Is it in your verse right there? God will keep you strong to the what? And so that you will be what? Is it in your notes? Well, then say it blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. That means when Jesus returns for God is. Faithful through whom you were called into the fellowship of his son or with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. God's love is immutable. His is a sovereign love. You are in Christ today, not because you decided anything, 
but because God, before the foundation of the world, decided you would be here in Christ today. And deciding that, he sent the Holy Spirit to birth you into this into his kingdom being born again. And he gave you the ability and the desire by faith to say yes to Jesus. God is righteous. God is righteous. Well, righteousness means a lot, but boiled down, I want to emphasize this part of it. God is righteous has to do that God is always and comprehensively right. Right. He's right. What does that mean? That everything he does is in moral correspondence with his own holy, pure nature. That means that everything that he does not do is in moral correspondence with his own personal, holy nature. Did you catch that? Well, why doesn't God do such and such or such and such? I don't know. But what I do know is this, that what God does do, every bit of it is what? Right, what? In keeping with himself. God cannot deny himself. Every decision he makes is correct, right, righteous. Every decision he refuses to make is also righteous. How many of us have ever asked, well, I wonder why God didn't do such and such? Well, I don't know the answer to that, but I can tell you part of the answer is, I don't know, but whatever it was, he was right. He was right. You see, this brings up a whole lot of controversy in our own hearts. But the fact of the matter is, we must know who God is in order to understand him better. You see, all of God's ways and deeds are right. Listen to Hosea 14, 9. The ways of the Lord are right. Daniel 9, 14. The Lord is righteous with respect to all of his deeds. Therefore, because God is righteous, what does that mean about his love? His love is also a righteous love, which means that God loves everything that is righteous. And God is absolutely and vehemently and forever against everything that is unrighteous. See, that's the demarcation. See, this is why we can rejoice when we read these words that we said. In love, he has predestined us to adoption through Jesus Christ. God has loved us with a righteous love. Can you say amen? God has loved us, but here's the problem. You just said that God cannot love anything that is unrighteous and always loves that which is righteous. Did we just say that? Saying that God's love is righteous means that there is no way in all creation that God can even love a molecule that is unrighteous. In other words, that is not commensurate or in, uh, what word do I want? Uh, is, is with his nature, is in keeping with his nature. God is righteous. His love is righteous. What's the problem? Come on, what's the problem? Remember Romans 3.23? Is it in your notes? What does it say? All of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, what you just said, God has loved us with an everlasting love. Evan, with an everlasting love. That means that before you were saved, you were a sinner, unrighteous, 
by nature, right? We were sinners and unrighteous by nature. And the result of that you see in Nahum, Nahum 1.3. The Lord will by no means leave the guilty unpunished. How many of us were by nature guilty? Do you remember Ephesians chapter 2, the first three verses? We were all sinners and trespassers. All of us by nature, children of wrath. Well, how can God, who is a righteous God, righteously love those who are unrighteous and remain righteous? That's the problem here. And this is the, if you would, the sticking point of Christianity in so many lives. God's love is righteous. He can only love the righteous. But I was unrighteous, but yet I have been the object of God's love from the foundation of the world. So how can that be? What has happened here? Can God righteously love an unrighteous people and remain righteous? Well, in one sense, no. He cannot. He can only love the righteous. Well, the answer is here in Romans 5, 8. Now listen to this. God has demonstrated his own love toward us. Now, when was that love demonstrated toward us? It's always been. How, how long has God loved us? Come on, come on. He didn't start loving you when you got born again. One second before. Oh, I hate you. Oh, I love you now. Now you're my child. That's not what happened. That's what so many believers think. Now that I'm in Christ, now God loves me. God loved us before he even formed us in our mama's womb. What does it mean before the foundation of the world? Who were you here? Ross, were you here then? What's happening? God has demonstrated his love toward us that while, while we were still sinners... Christ died for us. Aren't you glad that God doesn't say, you know what? If you repent, I'll forgive you. Did you get it? If you repent, I'll forgive you. Doesn't say that. He says, I send my son. To die for you. And in that dying for you. And taking upon himself. The full. Final. And forever punishment. Of all of our sin. So that God the father. May justly. Declare us. As righteous. Because at the cross. Jesus carried our unrighteousness. To the grave being punished for it. Fully. And when he rose. God clothed his people. 
those who have been his before the foundation of the world, those whom he would birth into this world by the Holy Spirit. He clothed us with the very righteousness of his own son. So as a consequence, now God can now justly love us who were unrighteous because our righteousness has been paid for by our divine substitute who represented us and carried us to the cross so that God now sees us in his son as righteous. Amen. That's justice. The world talks about social justice. I'll give you my theology on that. <laughs> oh, no. No. That's an easy way to say something. There's only one justice. Justice was poured out at the cross upon a man so that mercy may be given to us. So in Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, we get those three verses of how wrong we were. Oh, but you better know verse 4, Ephesians 2, 4. What does it say? But God being what? Rich in mercy because of his great love. That's why you're saved. That's how you're here today. And as a result of that, God planted the Holy Spirit in you and in me. Change our hearts. Remember Ezekiel 36, 26 to 7. And gave us a new heart, which then says yes to Jesus and gave us the ability to repent by receiving Christ as we have turned our back on our sin. We did not get forgiven because we repented. Because God forgave us, we were able to repent. Amen. Can you say amen? Second Timothy 2.25, that God may grant them repentance. You see, if forgiveness depends upon what I do, I have taken God out of the sovereign hand of God. This is good news, friends. How much, how much of your unrighteousness, is it all right if I walk down here? It's too late now. What you do, you do it and you repent later. Right? How much of your unrighteousness did Jesus know about? How much? Every bit. When Jesus died, how much of our sin was placed in him, on him? Every bit. From the moment you were conceived, the moment you were conceived to the moment you die... That whole absolute comprehensive person who you used to be, that old nature of sin and rebellion against God was laid on the shoulders, on Shechem, on the shoulders of him. And when he died, remember John nineteen thirty. do you remember what it said? You need to know these three words. What did he say in John nineteen thirty at the cross? It is finished. Paid for all the way. Nothing left out. Why? Because God knows it all. So any sin that I may commit, any sin that I may commit, any number of times I may commit it, what was that sin in him at that point? 
Years ago, my wife and I used to own a printing company. Have I shared this here or not? I have? I'll share it again. Well, I mean, didn't school teachers tell you the same thing twice? You have a tendency to forget. Where are you going? Alaska, yeah. It's going to be cold up there. You all better wear your long johns. And what was I talking about? Ah, the printing press. I'm sitting, I'm standing in the room running a little multi-lit. That's the sound of a printing press. Now you know. And my wife says I had to make sound effects all the time. You know, well, that's what guys do. We make them. Sometimes I make sound effects without preparing for them, but that happens too. It's just a part of age. It, it happens. You know, yeah, that's it. All of you older. And the thought came to me. And it's not the thought from Satan. It's the thought from the Holy Spirit. Guess how many of your thoughts are from the Holy Spirit and you're not even aware of it. You're walking out the house. He says, remember your keys. Thank you, Jesus. Recognize Holy Spirit is more chatty than I am. (laughs) That says a lot. (laughs) Now. I like that. Violet says, I I confess, she did it. (laughs) And he says, isn't it wonderful how many of your sins I forgave? The sins that you committed. Oh, that was wonderful. How many can say amen? Amen. But then he said, I'm running the printing press. Because I had to keep my eye on the work. You know, you, you, you want to pay attention to God, but not that much, correct? And then he said, I'll tell you something even more wonderful that you haven't thought of. I had never thought of it, Joyce. How wonderful it is that I've already forgiven you of the sins that you haven't even committed. Laura, I turned off the press. I stood in that big room and started jumping and yelling. How many of the sins... Has God forgiven us that we have not yet forgiven, um, committed? How many? Oh, I can't hear well. What? Come on, one more time. Belt it out. Oh, I don't mind raising my voice. You shouldn't mind raising yours. All of the sin. This is the righteous love of God. I don't know what the most, the biggest target Satan has in our lives, but I do know this. One of the biggest ones is this issue with God's love. His love for me, his love for you. And so we can confidently say that God's love is contained within and a part of functioning as every one of his attributes. Amen. This should help us and free us by the power of the Spirit. You shall know the truth and the truth will what? Make you free.
I want to conclude with this. I want us to remember the words of Jesus in 19, John 19, 34, 35. Is this in your notes? Jesus with the disciples on the night that he was betrayed, he says, a new commandment I give to you, that you what? Love one another. Now stop. Try to love one another. Try to be kind to one another. He never says that. Because you can't try and do it. You can't love one another. You can't forgive one another. He's talking about the power of the Holy Spirit producing in me the very love of God himself in me and through me. Amen. That's the love we're talking about here. This is God's kind of love. That you love one another. How? With God's kind of love. Make sure you get that. Love one another with God's kind of love because he has loved us with his own love. Even as I have loved you with God's kind of love. That you also love one another with God's kind of love. By this all men will know that you are my disciples. This is the way that God is glorified. If you have God's kind of love for one another. So here's the question I felt just, I put this, went back and redid the notes in this section because I felt the Holy Spirit wanted me to. At first I didn't, nope, I'm not doing it. Do it again, nope. But on the third time I said, okay, fine. So I, I think you'll be okay with this, but if you don't, talk to God about it. Truly, I believe this is my Holy Spirit. Have we, we, us, us in here, us in wherever we all are, have we, been loving one another with God's kind of love the way Jesus has loved us. Now you only can talk about that and I have to ask that of myself. Have we responded, how have we responded to revelation of sin in the, in the lives of others and in my own life? How have we done it? What have we thought about it? How have we assessed it? What has been our response to these things in people's lives? Have our minds been more on the sin of others or more on the way God has loved us when we have sinned? Where has your mind been preoccupied? Where have you been more jazzed up on that, whatever it is over here? How could they? I never have seen it. That's the way. Whatever it is, whatever it is, whatever it is, is your mind more on that than I did the same kinds of things before God? Maybe different categories, but the same things. And how has He loved me? With an everlasting forgiving love. Amen. Amen. Satan wants us to be more preoccupied with the sin than with the Savior. Satan wants us to be more occupied with the sin than the Savior. And when we are, we are dishonoring the love of God. And none of us want to do that. Friends, let us love one another when we sin with the very same love that God has loved us when we sin. 
Amen? You see, this is the way that God is glorified. So let's finish today with this. We've now come to understand that God's love is what? Omniscient? Is it in your notes? In, in the end, is this in your notes? Okay. We've come to understand that God's love is omniscient. His love is omnipotent. His love is omnipresent. It is immutable. It is sovereign. And it is righteous. Therefore, let's conclude by answering Paul's questions in Romans 8, 35 to 36. And Matt had a little bit of this in the worship today. You knew. Paul says this. Who or what shall separate us from the love of Christ? Now let's answer it. Will tribulations separate me from the love of Christ? No. Why? God is love. Will distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, swords separate me from the love of Christ? No. What? No. Huh? No. no. Oh, no, no. What? Will anything separate me from the love of God in Christ? Amen? Yes or no? No! no. Let the world hear no from us. Why? Because God is love. Will persecution? Why? God is love. Will famine? Somebody say it. Why? God is love. Nakedness? No. Why? God is love. Peril? Why? God is love. The sword? Why? God is love. COVID? No. God is love. Politics? No. Somebody else's sin? Why? Because God is love. Therefore, let us love one another with God's kind of love in each and every circumstance. In this is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit. And the fruit here is the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5, 22 and 23. This is God's love for us. Amen? Amen. Brother. I love how Pastor Peter just finishes. It's just done. And we feel. It's like, all right. I'm ready. <laughs> we will never, ever, ever escape this truth. We will spend eternity celebrating Jesus for this truth. Celebrating the work of Christ. Celebrating all that the Father has done for us, in us, and through us. We will never escape this. So, it's vital that we go with it. Amen? It's vital that we're more convinced of it than we are our feelings. We just, oh, so many memorable things in here. But uh, just to, to rehearse the fact that God's love in the, the six categories that we've been brought through the past couple of weeks, we need to revisit it for that reminder, always for that reminder. Amen? Amen. Let's uh, say our commission together as we go in God's love. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Amen. Amen. You be blessed.